All right, Justin, sing me a song about what it's like to be trapped in a room of mirrors with a madman with a bladed hand. <laughs> wow. Um, man, I'm trying to think of something that is about like, I can't see you or I can't. I know there are songs like that, but God, I can't think of one. So do you give up? Damn it. Yes. I'm going to have to take the L on this one. I can't think of a good. Oh my gosh. I just need one of those songs where it's like, you know, I'm blind. I can't see you. I can't feel you. I know there are songs like that. And I just cannot think of one right now. Crap, you already okay. gave up. I'm you taking, already gave up. Yeah. That's a loss. The L. Heather, what about you? Um, every step you take, I'll be watching you. Whatever that song is. I would have given it to you if you'd actually gotten the line right, but you didn't. That is, that's half the line. No, no. You forgot an entire like middle little section there. That's because I don't sing for more than five seconds. That has nothing to do with me not knowing the words. It's like, you know, every breath you, or every step you take, every breath you take, I'll be watching you. I fucked it up too. But I'm not the one that was supposed to do it. All I know is you did get it wrong because it didn't. Can I get a half point? Nope. I don't give halvesies. You have before. I'm sure that might be true, but I'm changing the rules right now. I don't give halvesies. Mm. It's because we got a win last time, so you got to have a loss no matter what. Hey, I conceded that both of you got wins. (laughs) So I don't even know why you're trying that. I just feel like I've gotten so much better about these and I just get no credit for it. Well, you 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 didn't sing the whole the whole line. You you abridged it, and I don't give a bridges on songs. Do do you know who sings that song? Sting. Ah, incorrect. It's the police. Yes, Sting is the sting or Sting is the singer, but that is a police song, not a Sting song. But technically, he's the one singing. Yeah, but that's not. Anyways, that's, that's I'll not take who the, gets the credits. It's fine. Therefore, I get to justify even more. You don't get halvesies. In my heart, I won, so. Hey, that don't mean shit. It's not on the official scoreboard. So, on that note, I feel like I'm going to fuck up the name of this movie because I'm going to get it confused with something else, I promise you, in this episode. But, on that note, let's let's start music. I I can't even fucking talk. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Jastin. And today we will be doing one of Jastin's essential movies, Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. Or Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon, however you want to word it. We will talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between. Starting with no spoilers, recommendations, then spoilers. So I will put the time codes in the the episode notes so if you do want to make sure you don't hear the spoilers you'll know when to stop and since this is a Justin movie Justin gets to start us off Justin why is this one of your essential movies or uh, that's not what I should have said because I didn't say that any of these other four movies (sighs) (laughs) Justin just talk about this movie you like (laughs) all right what so why did you guys have to watch Enter the Dragon? Well, for me, this was um, my introduction to Bruce Lee. 
Um, I caught this movie kind of later in my life. I didn't watch this in my teens. I was actually in my 20s when I first saw Enter the Dragon. But um, because actually I found out and it's kind of a funny story because my dad, he was a big Bruce Lee fan. Like he just... Um, loved Bruce Lee. The, the first person that I ever heard talk about Bruce Lee was my dad. And he also um, was, he studied karate and different things like that. And so he knew all about um, people in the 70s and the 80s. He was a big on Steven Seagal. He was big on Chuck Norris and of course Bruce Lee. So I'd heard all these stories that of him just telling me about Bruce Lee's life and how he was so influential and everything like that. And he and and this was uh, I was little. So this was back in the days of VHS. And um, he had these tapes and they were like he was like, you got to watch these Justin, these Bruce Lee tapes. And I found out later that they were Bruce Lee impersonators. Like apparently that was something that happened a lot. You would have these actors that kind of looked like him. Bruce Lie or Bruce Lay. It was Bruce, but just one E instead of the two E's or L-E-I or whatever. But anyway, they were like these Bruce Lee kind of look-alike action films. So those were the first films that I saw. And I thought, and you know, growing up being a little kid, I thought those films were badass. I was like, oh man, this Bruce Lee guy, he's amazing. And then come to find out later in my life, I found out, you know, but then I got to college and I got around some nerds who really knew some stuff and found out that those were not any real films. And they said, have you ever seen Enter the Dragon? And I was like, no, I haven't. And they were like, what? You haven't seen Enter the Dragon? So, of course, um, after I got berated, um, one of those friends showed me Into the Dragon. So that was kind of the first time that I actually saw this movie. And I had heard a, a lot about it. I had heard about how influential it was, how impactful it was, and how it was just this. the Kind of the first, like action block martial arts blockbuster like that to really make it big in the States. But I had never seen the movie and it's crazy. Why even watching that movie the first time I could just see all of the, I, I, I could just picture all of these other martial arts films, these certain types of characters, um, all of the things that this film Influence. I mean, it's just you could fill up an entire podcast just talking about the influence of this movie. So um, and of course, I was impressed with it. it it's it's unquestionably a classic. Uh, Bruce Lee is probably one of the most important cinematic people because of this film. And really, this is kind of a must see if you're talking about action, martial arts and stuff like like that. And Bruce Lee is just such a charismatic guy. The camera loves him. And really the crux of this movie is just watching this man work the camera. And he just had a way with the camera, man. All of the iconic yelps and 
Chiaz and the way that he would pose, the iconic look with the with the red scratches across the chest and the face and him, you know, and just the the yelps and just how he was able to work a camera is really just a thing of beauty. You understand immediately watching this and even watching this again now, I understand why he is so iconic and why he just managed to get to a place that really, I don't know if there's a martial artist alive or dead that ever got to the place that he got. And this movie really is, I think if you watch this, you will immediately understand why when you see this man worth the camera. And other than that, I mean, of course, this is an action movie and it is very corny. Let's not lie. And there are just some funny lines and there are just some things that I definitely laugh at now that maybe I didn't catch then, but I definitely uh, caught watching this movie now. And of course, this came out in 1973, so not everything ages well, of course, but I still had a blast watching this. A lot of the fights are still enjoyable because there's not a lot of cutting or editing in a lot of these fights, though there is in some that I noticed, and we'll get to that in the spoilers, but even still looking at these fights, it's still just a thing of beauty watching these people do these stunts and perform these fights, and there's not a lot of camera cutting. There's not a lot of setting up, getting in position here and there. I mean, it's still amazing to watch these one-take fights where six or seven guys go through these sequences in one nice take where there just aren't any noticeable mistakes made. And I think that that just speaks to Bruce Lee's ability, the the direction of this, and the all of the performers involved. And I still like the music in this too. Like, the opening of this, um, n- not the opening opening, because there's kind of a little bit of uh, story stuff that happens, but when it's opening and you're getting to see all of these shots of child and all of this stuff, you could tell that there was a sense of pride that went into this, wanting to show the foreign country how beautiful it was, the aesthetics of it, and you could see that in the opening credits in this movie, so that was something I didn't appreciate then, but going back and watching it and knowing what I know now and having seen so many movies, that sense of pride for that culture was definitely there. Um... Other than that, I thought that the supporting cast was also good in this for what they were. Uh, definitely entertaining. And I think that that's really the word for this. This is just an entertaining martial arts action flick. And I think that if you go in with those expectations and that's what you're looking for, uh, you, you almost can't do better than a movie like this. It's iconic. It's legendary. The lead is charismatic and really carries it. It's got some epic fights and Um, If you like martial arts, you got to know where it comes from. You got to know the things that influence it. If you play video games, oh my God, just I, I saw so many moves in this 
that I remember seeing in so many video games. There are stages in video games that are that are I noticed right away and I was like, huh, that's a stage in Tekken or oh, that movie just did. This character does that move or what he says, some of the things that he says, don't think, feel like all these things are. I mean, you see these things referenced in countless video games, countless martial arts media. It's just all over the place. And it really just reminded me of how uh, iconic this is. And so that's why I wanted to put this on my essential list. That's why I thought it would be fun to go back and revisit this and um and talk about it because I do think it is one of the most influential films in American cinema. And if you go back and watch this, or if you're watching this for the first time, I think it's easy to see why. Heather, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that it's super influential. And I remember watching this when I was younger as well, because I grew up with an older brother who was super into martial arts and um, any kind of action and fighting of anything. And my dad was also really into that. So this was a movie we watched a lot growing up. <laughs> and for me, I remember scenes of it. I mean, it didn't stick with me as much because I wasn't so much into the the fighting and all of that action stuff at that point. But I do remember memories of this movie, you know, with my family And I do remember when we were younger, my brother and I, you know, we used to like do like pretend choreographed fights and things like that. And a lot of it would be based off of these movies like this that we would watch. So for that, I definitely think it is influential because I mean, not even only obviously with just us just, you know, being goofy at home, but also other movies, you can tell that it has influenced them as well. And there are definitely scenes from it that I remember really well. I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but there are scenes and moments of the movie I do remember very well, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably of the Bruce Lee movies that I've seen at least. This is probably his best one or my favorite one of the ones I've seen with him. I think his fighting style, I think his, I think he's super talented with it. I think he's very captivating when he is on screen. I do agree about, you know, what you're talking about with like the camera angles and things like that, because he kind of does steal the show. I mean, and I think that's the point, but you know, he has like this, um, this stage presence when he is, you know, in a scene. So I think that that is very true of this movie, especially. And, you know, there, there are some moments when, you're just like, all you're doing is just, you, you really can't take your eyes off of what he's doing. It's so well choreographed. It's very entertaining in the, in the sense of the fighting. And I'm old enough now to appreciate that. Um, but I will be honest and say that this movie is super slow for me. <laughs> I mean, aside from the really great action sequences, and the fight sequences and stuff like that. This movie for me was really slower and no other parts of it really caught my attention very much. And um, so that's just, you know, that's just me. I know I'm coming from a different perspective on this, but yeah, I mean, it was, 
it wasn't something that I would say aside from those action moments, which is a lot. They do have a lot of it in the movie. But if you took out all of those or you took out even part of those, this movie's really not something that's very memorable for anything else. And that's probably the point. But so much so that, I mean, even the dialogue and the backstory has potential. But for me, it didn't really live up quite to that potential. And it really is just a vehicle for him to show his amazing skills. And and that's fine. We've seen that before. And it works because for me, this is probably the most entertaining movie I've seen with him in it. That being said, it's not probably going to be a movie that I just want to frequently watch. You know, the only reason I really um, have fond memories of it is just because of growing up, you know, with my brother and us watching it together and stuff. But otherwise, very slow paced and um, not something that is my wheelhouse of preferred entertainment if you will heather i think you nailed i think you nailed it on the head but i think you kind of did it in a in a soft way um okay because you said this movie is a little boring or a little slow (laughs) and i feel like that's an understatement i feel (laughs) i don't know maybe i didn't grow up on anything like this really uh my experience a lot with martial arts movies and things like that when it comes to like the straight up martial arts movies, I'm not talking about like a like a Jean-Claude Van Damme or a Chuck Norris movie or a Steven Skull movie. I'm not talking about any of those. I'm talking about, you know, something like this. I I kind of watched more Jackie Chan. And I do understand that those Jackie Chan movies would not be possible without Bruce Lee's influence and and the movies like this that he made. So I will concede that. But Jackie Chan fight sequences are on just a whole other level than this. And I think just with something like this now, it's just, it's very hard for me to watch it. I, there's so much in this movie that I don't understand. And I'm essentially going to be quizzing Justin later uh, about various plot points and whatnots uh, and scenes from this movie. Cause I don't understand them to be quite honest. This movie left me very uh, perplexed in a lot of those elements like story and whatnot. Uh, I mean, we can look past it a little bit when it comes, you know, to some of the stuff that honestly, that's not really the point of a movie like this per se. But I just it's just very hard for me to get truly invested in watching something like this at this point in my life. Maybe when I was younger and I hadn't been influenced by all these other things, maybe it would have uh, imprinted itself on me in a more impactful way. But at this point, all I can see are just the billion of like tropes that are in this movie. But then I, and I did have to find myself having to remind myself that this movie is kind of why some of those tropes do exist. I mean, It's just nowadays with me having only seen this maybe one or two times growing up ever uh, before today, it, 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 I don't feel it. I feel the tropes like they're tropes. I don't feel this as the inspiration for the tropes. And I do get what Justin's saying with a lot of this stuff. I mean, uh, watching this movie, you can't help but think of Mortal Kombat to me. I mean, pretty much the entire premise of the original video game and movie and everything is this movie. In so many ways. 
yeah. They they add the supernatural elements to Mortal Kombat. But other than that, Mortal Kombat is essentially this movie. It's a bunch of fighters get, you know, invited to a tournament held by some old guy. And there's a big beefcake guy that is like the second in command. And there's a guy with a weird thing on his eye. Uh, so you could take that as Kano or the guy with the scar in this movie. And, you know, just so much of that is intertwined. So, I mean, while I don't like this movie, I did not like it. I did not enjoy watching it or anything like that. I can't deny its cultural relevance to things I do like. I mean, we would have never gotten a, you know, uh, Legend of a Drunken Master or uh, Rumble in the Bronx or Mortal Kombat if it wasn't for Bruce Lee and this movie. So while I I don't appreciate this and, you know, in the way that somebody like Justin or a lot, a lot of other people do, because I do understand also I am in the minority when it comes to this uh, with a lot of stuff, but I just, I personally don't get any enjoyment out of this. I would much rather watch the things that were inspired by this or play the video games that were inspired by this than actually watch this. I mean, I guess in a lot of ways, it's like my take with the Beatles. I'm not a big fan of the Beatles in any way, shape or form, but I do understand a lot of the bop, uh, bops, a lot of the bands and pop acts and things like that, that I do love nowadays only exist because of the Beatles. Like if it wasn't for their influence and how they transformed music and all these other things, then those wouldn't exist. So I do, I do kind of put this in that same type of thing, not my cup of tea in the slightest, but I, I cannot fault people for whose cup of tea this is. That makes sense. I would agree with that. But I have a lot of questions, Justin. So uh, let's go ahead and do <laughs> recommendations and scores. Uh, I I should have taken better notes at some point because I probably should have written down how we've done this the last three episodes. Like who actually goes first on this part? I don't remember. I don't know why anybody left this part of it up to me. I don't remember shit like that. So I'm just going to say, Justin, since it's your movie, what's your recommendation and score? I probably did that differently in the other three, but that's how I'm doing it today. Okay. Um, well, yes, of course I recommend this for a lot of the reasons that you guys named. This is, I mean, there's no question about it. This is unquestionably the movie that this was the martial arts action movie that was the first hit in America. And it's true. Like when you talk about something like Mortal Kombat, that that happened because of this. When you talk about other successful martial arts movies that have just that just came, I mean, because after this in the 70s and 80s, there was just an influx of martial arts stars and martial arts movies that came out of this because, of course, um, Hollywood saw that, oh, man, there's money in this if it's done well. So. 
out of this, you got Chuck Norris stuff that that was successful. Karate Kid. Um, I mean, the Steven Seagal, John Claude Van Damme. I mean, and some of these actors like the Bolo guy, the big hefty guy, make appearances in those. And a lot of that spawned because of this. So I don't think it can be understated that this started a wave of the martial arts movies and stuff like that. And had it not been for this starting that wave, even when you look at things today, like a John Wick or something like that, and John Wick is fighting in a room full of mirrors, like even that is kissing the hand of this movie. So I think that if you're any kind of person who is like, man, you know, if if that interests you, especially that, like you're a person who likes to delve into the history of things and you're one of those kinds of people that you like to know where things come from. You don't just watch a movie to watch it, but you, you kind of question things like, oh, man, I wonder who thought of that or I wonder where those things come from. Well, in the realm of martial arts, this is the answer to that question. This is the the answer to where most of those things come from, what most of those things pay homage to. So to me, it's a must watch to understand this genre of cinema. And I get it uh, that it's not everybody's cup of tea. Like, I mean, martial arts movies and action movies in general are not a lot of people's cup of tea. It's definitely of an acquired taste. But if that is your taste. You've got to taste where it all started, where it came from. So, yes, I definitely can give this a high recommendation. And, of course, um, my score, uh, uh, I think that this for sure is an A. I mean, this is an A movie, man. The the mar- It's a martial arts action flick. So when you consider that, the martial arts in it is great. The action in it is well choreographed. Bruce Lee is very charismatic. The supporting cast was interesting enough and they carry the movie enough to get him to his fight scenes and everything like that. And I thought that the showdown at the end was an epic showdown and the movie ends satisfying. And it never slows down more than it needs to. It's got some beautiful shots. That's another thing that nobody said but is true about this movie. There are just some gorgeous shots shots in this movie too of just landscapes and things like that so it's even got kind of an artistic side to it as well other than just the art of fighting so I think that all of that equates to an A to me. This is an unmitigated classic. I think it's a must watch for classic American movies. Um, I'm going with the score of 90 um, Bruce Lee jump jumps in the air to double foot stomp down on somebody's chest as he yelps out of a hundred. Heather, what about you? Wait, how many did you say, Justin? What was your score? 90. 90, okay. Um, so the first thing I will definitely say about this is kind of like you guys were saying, I respect and appreciate what this movie has done for the genre and for other movies. And certainly for the time it was made, this movie had to have been a big deal. This movie had to have been like the best action thing that was out 
And I completely get that. And so respect for that. So nothing against that whatsoever. But again, the whole cup of tea thing, it's not mine. Um, I do enjoy a good action movie. But for me, I also, I prefer an action movie that does have just a little bit more dialogue and a little bit more moving along of the storyline. But I do think there were really great, beautifully choreographed scenes. You are correct. The, the, the shots were beautiful. Like the scenery was beautiful. And the potential of the story, they, they did do some good stuff with it, but the potential of the story, I think it just could have been maybe explored a little bit more. Um, but again, it, it's just more, if there was a little bit more dialogue that kept it moving in those moments between the action scenes, I would have probably given this a higher score. But again, I I don't fault anybody for thinking that this is a classic movie. I don't, I don't fault anybody who would say, you know, this was, you know, a huge, great movie and a classic movie. I completely understand why. But it's just not one that I personally enjoy watching just for the sake of like, oh, I just want something to watch and this is one I want to put on. So um, that being said, this is just the movie's fine. It's okay. Um, I because I do respect and I know like how important this movie is and I do think that it did have some very beautiful choreography for the fight scenes and everything. Um, I'll, I mean, I'm going to give it just a middle of the road 50. I'm going to give it 50, um, claws left on a stump at the end of a movie out of a hundred. For me, I would say that I personally, I don't recommend this movie because I feel like if this is the type of movie that would speak to you, you've probably already seen it. And I mean, if you like, I don't know, just if you like martial arts movies or anything like that, sure, fucking watch it. I, you know, whatever. But I just, I personally don't. I, I can't. I cannot recommend this just because, from my own perspective, it really is so boring. But like I said, I understand the importance. I understand the impact. And I'm grateful for it too. I'm grateful for the impact and I'm grateful for the influence. Because like I said, it influenced a lot of things I do love. But I'd rather just watch those than this. And I'll keep up with tradition. So, you know, Heather went 40 points. No, I won't even do that. I won't do that. I was going to say I was, I'd go 40 points less than Heather's. This movie's not a 10. But this movie is 35 surprisingly high amounts of nut shots out of 100. <laughs> so now are we on to spoilers, guys? Yes. Yes. Now, Justin, since this is your movie, you can choose now. I'll let you choose who starts this section. Um, uh, one of you guys could start and then I can. Uh, why don't you both go? Since I went first in the first section, you guys can both go and then I will uh, come in at the end. How about that? We'll reverse it. We'll reverse the order of what we just did. All right. Then Let's I'll go do first. it the normal way. Yeah. Jasta, I am utterly confused by this movie. Utterly. And I counted them. I kept a tally on my phone. There is no less than 107 plot points that are started but never finished. And this movie perplexes me because of that. Like, it's, you know, Shaolin Monk, all this other stuff. And, hey, this guy is just an absolute murderer. I think he kills at least 47 people in this movie. 
like that's not the Shaolin way. And also, I mean, in in all seriousness, one thing that drives me nuts in movies, and this movie does it like within the first like 15 minutes, is I hate it in a movie where they artificially add connections between characters and give characters very like convoluted like extra reasonings one big point in that is in this movie where they're talking about that one you know the one white guy that's on the bad guy side and they were like yeah look at him do all this crazy shit and then somehow he got a scar on his face and then like five minutes later it's bruce lee's character's dad saying yep i gave him a scar and you remember how your sister randomly killed herself in a boathouse well let me tell you the actual story of that it was this guy you've already agreed to go fight he attacked us i gave him a scar and then he chased your sister around and then she killed herself so she wouldn't get raped now you have all the extra motivation to do the thing you already agreed to go do why why would you do that what 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 is the point of that (laughs) like that part of the plot was already solved he already said I'm going to go do this. And then they went, well, just in case you were planning to half-ass this espionage mission, just remember that everybody involved with this is the reason why your sister's dead. I don't, why? Why would you do that? Why was that necessary? Also, why is there an army of ninjas underneath this, this in this island that is just in jail? And all kinds of properly fed and all this other stuff because they had all the energy in the world to come attack the other like the other like you know evil like fighting students at the end i need to really figure out what the fuck i'm saying because i'm stumbling over words i have no reason to stumble over and then what was really the point of half the characters in this movie like what's his name uh williams what was the point of his character in this movie other than to weirdly tie-in stereotypes of black men especially from the 60s and 70s to just randomly put in this movie because that served most of the purpose of what he did in this movie was that stereotype stuff and then they just kind of did something just to have him get killed also what was the point of the room of people with like essentially the the room of hippies they were all just so high on weed that they laughed through a guy getting murdered in front of them. And you know, they're hippies and marijuana fiends because they had love painted on their face. Why would you just have a room of that? If you were some weird crime Lord, like this movie posits, he is, why do you just have a room of hippies? That makes no sense. Other than to also perpetuate stereotypes in a very weird way, in a very unnecessary way. That that wasn't even something that was like the point of a movie like this. There was no agenda behind, you know, perpetuating the reefer madness like ideal. Yet this movie felt very necessary to do that. Also, what happened to the guy's hand? That's just a very weird thing to throw in there. And also with his little claw hands, either one of them. Is this man also the weakest man in the world with his left arm? Because... Those were four like hunting knives, like blades at the end of that one. And he couldn't get any more than a few like millimeters deep on Bruce Lee. So that proves the blades were sharp, but then it just proves he didn't have enough force to actually do any damage with them. 
So that makes no sense. Also, if you're in a room of mirrors that is circular by design and everything like that, how do you lose track of somebody? There wasn't even a hallway or corners or anything, really. It was just like a circular room that already also had shit in it. I just don't understand how it's possible to attack somebody from behind, them not see you, see you at the last second, but you still get the attack off, but you can completely disappear by the time they turn around. Like, you would be affected by the same sort of mirror psychosis, if you will, as Bruce Lee was. It just, I, I, that's a weird thing in movies like this that I absolutely hate, regardless of whatever movie does it. At least in John Wick, it was hallways. There was other stuff. This was just a circular room that also had shit in it. It also had shit in the middle of the room. It's very easy to focus on what's in a mirror when there's other fixed objects in the room. Like, oh, if I see that right there, I know that's behind me right there. You already know this. Like, it helps you orient yourself because of those fictionary things. Or fictionary. God, I really cannot talk tonight. It's been a very long week, guys. Have you been drinking already? I have not. That's the sad thing. I haven't been drinking. It's just been a long week. It's been a very long day. And my tongue just doesn't want to fucking work. It's just kind of sluggishly moving as I speak and saying words that I'm not trying to say. I know those aren't the words I'm trying to say, yet my mouth says it regardless. I don't even remember what the fuck I was saying. I was talking about stationary points in the room, fixed objects. I don't remember what word I fucked up on, but that's still not the point either. And also, I know, Justin, you gave me a big hard time about all those rock climbing and mountaineering scenes in Kroll. And then you have the audacity to put this movie on the list, which had no less than 6.7 hours of that one fucking boat just going on the fucking water. And every boat ever, for that matter, when they were in the like the little gondola-type boats, you know, in the canals of that city, they did the same thing there. It was just so much boating action. And they would they would get, they would just always kind of focus on the scenes whenever they would do the background of shit anyway. Whenever they would focus on some of the, the people watching these fights, which also I have questions about these fights. I'll get to that in a second. But when they would just like pan through the crowd of people, they would go and put like they would like stop at each guy and it felt felt like they spent five seconds per person. And they would go like two or three people and you'd be like, okay, they're going to go back to the action now. And then they'd keep going and going. And then they were like 15 random miscellaneous crowd members like through before they go back to what they were watching. And it just felt like so much of this movie was, was filler scenes that they just, because they didn't know what they were doing in certain aspects of this movie. Also back to the, this fighting tournament. What exactly are the rules of this fighting tournament? Because is it just, is it a point-based thing where each knockdown's worth a point, but then if you knock them out, you win? Because, like, when the random white guy that was fucking fighting, what's his name, Roper or something? I don't know, the, the degenerate gambler. He got, like, knocked down three or four times or whatever it was, but the fight was still going, so it wasn't even a best of something or two, like, a certain point, or I don't know. Then he just did a couple of things, knocked the other guy out, and then he was the winner. I don't understand what was the, the system in which these people could win. And then also... Why would during that first like night of Bruce Lee running around trying to gather information on this island, 
why did none of the people just go, nah, it's that Bruce Lee guy? Like, at what point did any of those people, like, whenever they were getting, like, after they got beaten up, but then were captured by their own people, why wouldn't they just say anything like that? Like, nah, bro, that was that guy that killed that guy today. It'd be quick and easy. Or, like, you know, that guy that did this today. Like, it'd be so easy to point out who he was. But they never did. And then somehow the Han guy thinks that it's the Williams character. And at no point was there any real rationale behind why that would be. He's the worst crime lord ever. How the fuck did he get to the heights of crime lordedness that he got? Fuck if I know, because it is nowhere near explained in anything that's going on in this movie. Also, what's the whole ordeal about them getting a hold of the guy to be like, oh, bring your troops here. And then him going, oh, this came in 30 minutes ago. No, I don't care who the general's with. And that scene that took 27 minutes just for nothing, just for these troop people to not really have any relevance in this fucking movie. They didn't even show up at the time to stop someone from killing somebody or anything like that. Nah, they were just fuckers in the end credits. So I just don't even understand what the point of that was. I mean, just so much of this movie is utterly perplexing to me. And I just don't understand what happened. So, Jasta, I need you to answer every single one of those questions. <laughs> and don't ask me to repeat them. Because fuck if I'm going to remember everything I asked. I'm sure you'll get to some of them at some point. I'm not saying right this moment. You can wait till your turn. We don't have to be greedy and like go back and forth for nine hours. So, you know, until we, you know, feel bad that Heather hadn't said a word in 57 minutes. We don't have to do that okay. in this episode. Just during your turn, if you could answer a few of these questions, because I don't feel like there's answers for them and things like that really do bug me in a movie like this. Well, I, I shouldn't say in a movie like this. They bug me in a movie. And I think if you're going to do something like this movie, I do think it's smarter to go the John Wick route and just keep everything so simple. And then in each movie, kind of expand a little more. But like that first John Wick, man, that is the simplest fucking movie ever. It is just simple, simple, simple. And this movie has those elements. It has those bones to it. It has the ability to be just that simple, straightforward martial arts action film. But it just introduces all these plot elements and all these things with zero resolution, zero reasoning, zero just flow to any of it. I think that's also one thing that fucks me up with this movie. It's like the Williams character gets his ass kicked. Then he's hung from the thing and then dropped in the water. And the other guy's like, oh, no, but maybe I'm going to make you think I'm going to join your side. And then while then Bruce Lee's beating up a bunch of fucking people, then he gets captured just to get released to beat up a bunch of more people again. And it's just like what that the, the way all that flowed is very, very disjointed. This movie, I, I do feel is absent of flow outside of any actual fighting sequence. I feel like this movie has no flow and no organization to it. I mean, this this movie you would think I would have a kinship with this movie because it's obvious by the way I talk, I've got a very disjointed and combobulated brain. And maybe that's why I don't appreciate this movie like that. Because when you take my own mental discombobulation and combine it with this director's discombobulation, it's too discombobulated. And I think I just broke the world record for saying discombobulated in a podcast. But... That's all I'm going to say for now, because I feel like I've gone too long. 
I feel like I just did a boat scene from this movie in word form for you guys. <laughs> so Heather, and I feel bad too, because this is not meant to be the negative section. This is meant to be the spoiler section. I just feel a lot of my issues with this movie are very specific to plot points, which I don't even know if you could say or or, or spoilers because the plot isn't really anything that extravagant. When you really boil it down to its bare bones, it's Bruce Lee goes to this tournament. That's a bad guy. Some shit happens and he fights the bad guy at the end. That's the main plot of this movie. I wish they just really kept it that simple, but I don't know. I just feel like in the spirit of keeping things spoilers with most of my issues being very, very specific things with very specific scenes and everything like that. I wanted to do that. I didn't mean for this to all be negative, but that's what it is. So Heather, what is your spoilery thoughts about this movie? Well, I think you bring up or you brought up a few interesting points, but where you were talking about, you know, what was the point in like when he already agreed to do what he was asked to do. And then afterwards is when they tell the story about his sister. I do agree. I think it actually probably would have been better to have it be where maybe he's like, Oh, I don't know if I want to do this. And then he hears the story and he's like, fine, I'm doing it, you know, because it does feel like, I mean, the basis of this is kind of a revenge story, which everybody loves a good revenge story. That's what John Wick is. That's, you know, everybody loves a good revenge story where the hero is triumphant and he gets, you know, justice for whoever has died and all of that. Like those are always great stories. And, I will actually say that I I actually enjoyed the like that plot. I I think that that was a good plot. I and that's what I mean by when I say it had potential for more than what it was because I think that scene where they do the flashback about what happened to his sister was probably one of the more interesting and probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. Because they do backstory, you get to see sort of what's happening and what's driving this whole thing for him. And it was it was decent, you know, and I, I do feel like, um, it, you know, there was just a little bit more depth to that scene than some of the other scenes that you see, which is, I'm sure, on purpose because, you know, that's the whole motivation of why he he wants to, you know, why he gets so mad and he so quickly kills the guy who was trying to attack his sister. But um, yeah, I, I think that that was a really actual good backstory for all of it. They just didn't really explore it a whole lot. Um, but I do think you're right. I think that maybe if they had reversed that or they had made it where he wasn't wanting to do it and then he finds out that that's what happened and then he's like, okay, I'm in. I have to do this. Kind of like John Wick style. So yeah, I, I do agree with that. I think that is a good point. Um, I do think that it does feel like a lot of it is like filler scenes in between just to kind of get to the next action scene. And and I think, again, that's probably just because in those moments, there's not a whole lot of dialogue. I mean, I'm not saying there's none, but I guess for me, that's just something I kept noticing was that there didn't really seem like a whole lot of dialogue or if there was, it was kind of like very short dialogue. And I'm just a big fan of movies that have, you know, deep conversations or, you know, things like that. And maybe that's why it's something I noticed more with this movie, but... I think um, 
And the, some of the things I didn't care for was who was the the big like huge bodyguard dude that was like you know the brutal guy was his name Bo something with a B um, Bolo I forget his name Bolo yes Bolo he was he was kind of ridiculous like he he was very intimidating but I couldn't help but kind of like laugh a little bit anytime he was like seriously fighting or trying to injure somebody and just his facial expressions every time. And I'm just like, wow, this is a little bit overboard. <laughs> it just seemed very overboard with the facial expressions. I think actually even Bruce Lee in some points, you're just like, okay, that is a super exaggerated expression that you're doing right there. But again, you know, this was the seventies. So that was probably, you know, normal and fine, but it's just funny looking back on it. It's just kind of amusing at like, uh, he's hurting me so much and his face is just all sorts of dramatic looking. It was just very funny to me. But um, yeah, I think um, I do agree also like, yeah, they should have gone into what happened to this guy's hand <laughs> because that was like a huge thing in the movie throughout the whole thing. And they didn't really discuss what happened there. So that would have been nice to know. But again, the, let's talk about that mirror scene for a minute. Um, which is the very final fight scene that they do, that is iconic and that is very memorable. And that is what I remember most about this movie was that part because that's really cool, you know? And then at the end when he defeats him and, and you just see him spinning around on the mirror and you could just see himself in all of the other mirrors, it's very, it was very well, um, choreographed for the not choreographed it was very well shot to the cinematography of that was really good um i i thought that was that made it very very stand out to me and that is one of the things that really does um elevate this movie was that scene from it so i did really enjoy that and i remember a lot of that because like i said i haven't seen this movie in so long but when i watched it i was like oh my gosh i forgot about all of these things that they do in this in this scene and it was so good, you know, I remember it and it was still really entertaining to watch. So, you know, I'm a little conflicted because like, you're right, like the fighting and all of that is so good that it makes you watch this movie and be like, ooh, let's see these choreographed moves you have. But the, you know, but the rest of it is just really like, all right, let's get through this to get to the next fight scene, which like I said, that might be what they wanted to do. But for me, I just kind of wish they would have explored a little bit more of the plot than they did. And yeah, that's all I got. All right, Justin, go. Okay. Um, definitely a lot of uh, interesting points made and everything like that. And, um, and I, I don't know, I guess for me, this just, um, I didn't really just find it very complicated at all. Like I've, I just kind of felt like, and maybe there were some things I did have a couple of notes here on things that I wished maybe would have been explained better and and different things like that. But I thought that at least enough was given um, for you to understand, you know, like at the beginning, the investigators, they come and they go, OK, this guy um, 
he you you find out that this Han guy who was the main villain was a practitioner of Shaolin, but he broke away from the school and everything like that. So him and Bruce Lee's master, that there's history there. He was a student of that. Um, but I guess whenever he um, broke away because he didn't honor the tenants and stuff like that. So and, and I mean, I think it's important to to note that that trope right there, this person this person who was a martial artist or was in this clan of martial artists, but he had these dark ways about him or these sinister ways about him, or he wanted to use the, the tenets of martial arts or Shaolin or whatever the martial art is in question and breaks away for his own selfish or personal means and stuff like that. And kind of becomes a villain. Oh my God, that is used so much. Like, I mean, just that concept well, Star Wars right does there. does that a lot, too, with the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, definitely does. Like, that is used so damn much. So I think I just had to point that out. I think um, it, 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 just to kind of state the, the magnitude of how influential this is, like, that right there is something that is that's an idea that is just used so much after this movie and that's kind of what this is and you know at the beginning the martial arts master um gives bruce lee that whole speech about you know your opponent is is a is a person who it, who feeds off of illusions you know what he is on the surface is not really who he is and the in order for you to win you have to shatter those illusions you have to break that illusion and get to who he really is and then you can defeat him that's kind of the speech that's given and for me that is the theme of the Han character everything looks like one thing but it's not but that's not really what it is the island just seems uh, you know like those investigators were saying you know he seems on the up and up it seems like he brought this island and he just trains people there and he's just this practitioner of martial arts and stuff like that and that's where he trains and has tournaments and stuff like that but we found this body of a woman that floated up on the river and we've had our suspicions about him we know that that he's involved in crime, but we can't prove anything. He appears like th this island appears to be this place where you can go and just learn martial arts and tourism and whatever, but there's really this other side of him. There's really this other side to this island. The, the fight with Bruce Lee, that was the purpose of him fleeing to that mirror room and trying to put Bruce Lee in a situation where the fight favored him. And what was it about? about trying to uh, fool Bruce Lee with these illusions with the, the uh, with the optical illusions created with these mirrors trying to seem like he's one place but really he's not there and trying to use that strategy to uh to kill Bruce Lee so that's kind of in that theme with uh, this villain character the whole thing about his hand you know it seems like he's wearing these gloves and it just seems like his hands like he's just a guy uh, with these hands wearing gloves but then but really that's hiding this injury and 
actually now he's kind of adapted ways to use that injury to as kind of an advantage. So even that kind of wasn't what it seemed. And I agree with you guys. I wish that they had went into what exactly happened to his hand. The only clue that we get is when Bruce Lee is talking to the interrogation people and he's like, well, why don't you just go in there with a gun and just shoot the guy? Or why or why can't I just take a gun there and shoot him or whatever? And then that's the end of the story. And then they were talking about how Han has this thing about weapons and you know, the, he got injured. He was gravely injured because of a weapon uh, and everything like that. So now he doesn't allow that kind of stuff on the island. You can't come there with anything and he doesn't have weapons of his own and stuff like that. Now, of course, we can argue the validity of that. I mean, should he have just had guns? <laughs> Probably, right? But of course, we can argue the validity of it. But they did give it a story. They told you that he had, you know, that was the reason why he didn't like weapons. That was the reason why something like that was used uh, to injure him. His hand was actually on display, which was also weird when he was taken. um I want to say it was Roper through that tour of everything. And they stopped in this little museum where he kind of had all of these little things that he puts on his arm for weapons and his hand, the bones of his hand were actually there on a mantle, kind of reminding him of that injury and what he had gone through and stuff like that. So there were little things there, but I do agree. I wish that that had tied into something, some sort of way, or maybe Bruce Bruce Lee's sister could have been the one to do that to him or whatever the case may be. You know, if there was some sort of a tie in, sure, it definitely could have made that better. But there was some methodology given to why uh, this person was this way. And uh, I also agree about I had also wrote down the point that you guys made kind of at the beginning with Bruce Lee and um the the whole thing with the investigators trying to get him to go to um to go to that island and do this undercover operation and everything like that and then right after that is the scene of okay this is what really happened Bruce your sister uh this is why she died and this is what happened and now you've got that extra motivation and I do agree there probably was a better way to do that uh But I do think that while Bruce Lee was talking to the investigators, it was pretty clear that he wasn't all the way invested into doing that. He was asking a lot of like, you know, um, facetious kind of questions, his attitude, his demeanor when they were talking to him like this. Oh, well, so why do you want me to do this? Or, well, we really think that you could be the difference maker in this. Oh, we, you think who is we, you know, he was asking all, it was clear that he wasn't completely invested. It was like he agreed, but he was like, okay, you know, I'll do this, but I do agree. I think if he hadn't agreed, he shouldn't have agreed. If that, I think the demeanor he had, 
during that was good because he he definitely didn't seem all the way invested in it. But then he was kind of like, eh, okay, I guess, you know, and I think I agree that if he would have disagreed to do that, then the master, then his master came to him and told him the story about his sister. And he was like, oh, okay, now I'm okay. I'm definitely going to do it. I, I think I agree with that. That would have been a better way uh to, to tell that story. So that's actually something I agree with. I think that would have um, made that part of the narrative better. But I do think in its defense, he he didn't seem all the way invested um, in doing that thing prior. Uh, as far as the other characters like Roper and Williams, um, I just think that really the only purpose that they served was just to kind of show how formidable the villain was. I think that Williams in that fight with Han that was just to kind of show you that look this 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 guy is dangerous you know he was able to beat Williams who we got to see fight a couple of people so we knew that Williams and Roper we knew that they were formidable fighters so seeing the villain beat these people you know seeing the villain kind of beat one of these people one of these formidable fighters if anything that's just something to give the villain some stroke and then Roper was kind of used to kind of show what the island actually was because you know the the hot is always about these illusions and so all of that was just to kind of show that yes there is this underground criminal operation whether it be prostitutes whether it be him drugging people up and kind of keeping them there or whether it be him holding people prisoners and it is funny Sterling that you said why were there just these ninjas (laughs) in jail he did say that they were refugees and people who were you know they had no rhyme or reason for living anyway so I brought them here and they're going to serve my purposes and that was kind of the only explanation given he said they were refugees but that totally doesn't explain why they were able to fight at the end of the movie because then these people are using martial arts so I totally see how that was confusing because he just said they were refugees so I don't know how they were fighting these um, students and and black belts uh, at the end of that and I don't know if that is a translation or dubbing issue I don't know if maybe I, I don't know if we watch it in China, maybe the explanation is different. And that's another thing, too. The dubbing in this wasn't always great. And you just kind of wonder what was actually said versus what was dubbed because it was weird that he just said oh there are these refugees in jail um, these refugees and I keep them here and stuff like that and I don't know I just have to believe there might have been more that he was explaining to Roper but what we got in the dubbed version was that but you know uh, so I guess it's just how you interpret that and how many points you want to take off for that but to me that was the point of those two characters one was to show how formidable Han was to to lose that fight in that way the other one was to show the underground criminal operation and he tried to get Roper to join and Roper's rich seemed to have connections was privileged and he thought that and was a gambler and all this stuff and kind of was a schemer right 
We saw that with the fights that Roper and Williams, they kind of were running this game and Roper was letting the, the, in the one fight, he was letting the guy beat him up until the bet was high enough. Then he whooped the dude's ass and they collected that money. So they established that Roper and, you know, Roper was kind of the schemer. So then, and you know, when Han talks to him, there's that moment of, okay, is he going to join him or is he not or whatever? And of course he felt apprehensive. And I do think when he saw Williams strung up and like dead and dropped in the water, I do agree. I wanted to see more of a reaction out of him. He just kind of was like, oh man, that sucks. And I think there should have been more of a reaction out of him and there kind of wasn't it was just kind of he was kind of like oh man you know and I don't know how well he knew Williams but they seemed to have some history like they they said hello and they knew each other and they kind of had so they seemed like more than just acquaintances so I would have liked to have seen uh, more out of him there but to me that was the purpose of the Han character so to me the way he fought what they introduced you to in the movie and what he is in the movie I was fine with all of that I thought that that was um, enough for me but I didn't understand everything like like when he was showing the underground operations what were they stirring what was in those big ass pots that they were stirring up what was that was it drugs I would just assume drugs not any specific drug just you know Drugs. A drug porridge, just a, a drug cream of wheat, a drug. Uh, I don't know what the well, word see, is. I'm I, for, I guess but. that's what my problem is with all this, with this, with this stuff is for this being a movie made in Hong Kong. Like this is just as exploitative in so many ways as like the black exploitation films and all this other stuff that we were doing at the exact same time here when it comes to a lot of that. And I think that that was like my big issue with it. Whenever it comes to like the Williams character, especially the Williams character, because they're just like, Oh, we've got this black guy on this Island and we're giving away prostitutes. Let's show how much of a sex fiend he is because God forbid, he's just like a normal person or, (laughs) You know, like I said, how exploitative the the hippie element is of it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they're so high on weed. All they do is laugh as this guy gets murdered in front of them. It's that. It's those elements of it that are just so exploitative about for no reason. Like this wasn't even this isn't even an exploitation film. And it's still exploitative when it gets a chance. And so it's a that's why to me, honestly. Those are just drugs. Doesn't matter what drug they are because it's just drugs. And since this is an evil guy, he's just sitting there making drugs. (laughs) The evil. I'm just going to call it a drug porridge because I just like how that sounds when I say it. Porridge. Um, (laughs) So, and they're like, yeah, what (laughs) drugs are in there? And it's like, he's like, all the drugs. All of them. <laughs> it's the but, most evil yeah, drugs I, you could ever take. <laughs> that porridge of drugs, dude. <laughs> well, I hope Goldilocks like, doesn't fucking go there. She'll just be a stoner ass hippie in a fucking room. 
So, yeah, but like uh, and yeah, I get some of that stuff with the uh, with the black guy. And he was like, yeah, I'll take three of them. And, you know, all of that kind of well, stuff. I, I definitely get some of that. And it throws you for a loop because in his flashback scene, which also, Justin, when you're talking about like this movie and they're like, oh, they hint that he had his hand like, you know, that might be why he doesn't have a hand. This movie has 90,000 flashbacks. Why the fuck can't we get a flashback of him shooting his fucking hand off? Because I want to see the gun that shoots his hand off cleanly because his hand was whole. I want to see that. That would have been the most interesting flashback this movie could have done. And it didn't. Sorry. You just also reminded me of that when you were saying that because the flashback of the Williams character, it actually makes you feel like they were supporting a black character standing up for their own rights because of the cops that pull him over. And, you know, they're using racial slurs and they're just targeting him because he's a black person walking, which how the fuck was this movie made in 1973? Cause that scene fucking came out of, I don't know the news last week, but anyway, like it feels like they were going to go like the non-exploitative uh, route with that character. And then it's like the next time you see him, it's like, Oh yeah, look at him getting all the women because he's a black man that can't be satisfied with one. <laughs> oh my <laughs> man. I mean, uh, I get that. And I don't know, maybe that's why overall I was fine with it because I thought that flashback scene and I know that that actor, I know that he at the time was a star who had been in a lot of those black exploitation films and he is a an actual uh martial artist. I know that that actor was. So I think whenever you see that scene at the beginning and, and and I mean and I thought that was actually a cool flashback I like that better than the Roper golf <laughs> beat him up and then oh that go. was the most boring of all the flashbacks <laughs> oh, yeah that how was like the worst a one gambler he is he bets at golf yeah like, bets and that's golf. weird like, that like, was... that's just exploitative but just the weird way you're gonna exploitate white people in the 70s like, oh, he's such a degenerate. He bets on golf. Like, that's as <laughs> evil as he gets. But yeah, but I didn't I didn't really like I wasn't digging that flashback. But no, I thought the Williams flashback was good. And I thought that was cool that he beat up those cops, though. I was like, OK, so how did he avoid jail after he did that? <laughs> but well, because that's but, literally the flashback right before he got on the boat. Like it was. This happened. He went to the airport and flew away before the cops could catch he him. He must have. Yeah, he must have. But hell, hell, if he had survived, he would have had something waiting on him. But uh, but I thought that was a cool flashback. And that was cool. They were all calling him Jig and all that stuff. And he got to whoop some ass. So that was cool. Then he got to whoop a little more ass in the tur- in the tournament or whatever. So I don't know, man. I You know, and I get the whole thing about, you know, I'll take the, the three wins and the insatiable black guy. So I get where you're coming from with that. But I don't know, man. I thought overall, I, th- I thought if you add it all up, they, they did an all right job with him. I wasn't too offended by what I saw. But but I get the the, the whole women thing, you know. But well, I mean, I, because there there isn't anything to be offended outside that scene. There, there's not. Mm. Outside of that scene, there's not. He's not exploited. Like, he's not. Uh, exploited. He, he's not exploited outside of that one scene. 
It's just they went out of their way to make sure that for at least one scene he was. I see. I see. Yeah. But um, but I don't know. I don't know if I've said I think those were the only. You reminded me of another question, Justin. Sure. Why did they set up (laughs) with that New Zealand guy that gets put on the boat and he's like dragged behind? Why did they set up that him and Bruce Lee were going to have a fight when literally he fights Williams and just gets his ass kicked right away? Like they were totally setting that up for a fight. Like the Bruce Lee was going to teach him a lesson of picking on people and he doesn't at all. That's just such a huge missed opportunity. He was having none of that nonsense. Williams Williams could have just beat up some other random guy because there was 47 random people he could have fought. Could have just fought one of the random ones. I just don't understand the whole setup of that to have zero payoff other than that weird joke of he's getting pulled by the boat. I'm like, yeah, that's such a a lesson. They should have fought. That's all I'm saying. Oh, okay. Um. Okay. I mean, I, I guess. Yeah, I guess they could have fought. I, I, I was fine with him just making a fool out of him on the boat. I thought that that was the the point. You know, it just was, you know, he's not, you know, Bruce Lee is not just going to, Mr. Lee in this is not just going to raise up and fight just because a guy wants to. I mean, it was clear that that guy was no match for him and he just outwitted him too. So it just kind of, I don't know. To me, I thought that was, I was fine with that. He (laughs) totally made a fool of that guy. And, um, mental defeat. Yeah. You know, and he even said, you know, he even said there was that line. Yeah. The, the art of fighting without fighting. So I I just thought that that was, I get it on the boat. I still feel I still felt like they were setting up a fight between them that didn't happen. Like I get what you're saying with that because you are absolutely right. Self-contained within the boat scenes, that story arc is more or less done. I still just felt like they set up a fight. Like that's all. I just felt like they set it up. Like, you know, it, it would totally fit in this whole movie with him being like a Shaolin and all this other stuff. The whole, you know, that guy is a gigantic bully and you know, Outside of fighting, the the Mr. Lee character is fairly unassuming. And so it sets up the whole of, you know, just be careful, you know, who you're picking on. You don't, you know, you don't know who they actually might be type of situation. It felt like there was supposed to be that moral payoff with that. Okay. I see where you're coming from. I gotcha. And there was one, there was another thing I, I wanted to be done better and I can't remember let me look at my let me look at my notes I know that there was something that I'm not saying I just want to make in sure in the meantime I though something and I don't know if you knew this or not Sterling but um, Jackie Chan was one of the choreographers of the fight scenes of this movie I didn't know he was one I, I know the fight sequences are all Bruce Lee but I mean that wouldn't surprise me that Jackie yeah. Chan because Jackie Chan is in one of the Bruce Lee movies I don't remember which one I know he is uh yeah, yeah, but apparently he helped choreograph some of the scenes. Well, see, there you go. There it is, my yeah. Mr. Chan. I mean, while you're yeah. while you're and looking through your notes, Justin, I do have some more stuff to bring up as far as other stuff. Or did you find what you needed? Yes, uh, the only other thing I was going to say was um, yes, and uh, Jackie Chan. I know the. I don't know if you remember this kill or not, but it was the guy where. Um, 
were after the whole snake thing and all those people were coming to fight Bruce. It was just before he got the stick and then later the Chucks. But there was a guy that grabs him from behind and kind of puts him in like an inverse bear hug. Like he grabs him and holds onto him. And Bruce Lee eventually gets him, grabs him by the head, and then the camera closes up on Bruce Lee and he kind of breaks the guy's neck. But that that was Jackie Chan who he was holding we'll see, there um, you go. on that on that kill. So just to kind of clear that up. Nice. But uh but but yeah, and I was gonna say, speaking of that fight scene, um, just more chucks, man. Like I like when he got the nunchucks, I was like, Oh yeah. All right, here we go now. This is you know, cause I and I don't know why I remembered there being more nunchuck. That's maybe one of his the, other I'm movies. thinking of a yeah, I guess some of his other movies is where he really it's the one where got he yells down the yellow the jumpsuit, didn't it? Game of Death. Yeah, there was definitely some Chuck in that. And then some of his other movies, like there was another one where he like Chinese connection or one of those where he uses a lot of nunchuck. And I think I was confusing that because I was ready, man. When he got the chucks, I was like, oh, here we go. And then he did like two things with them and that was it. And I was like, oh, "Oh, man, you're you're absolutely. No, I was just going to say you're absolutely right, Justin. It's a waste of an opportunity to give him chucks and it not be him utterly decimate 27 people with them. Exactly. I was waiting on that. And then it just, it was two people or two or three people. And then that was it. And I went, oh man, come on, man. Like if they had, they should have done the invert. Like when he got the sticks, like the stick stuff, the staff stuff was great. But I would have cut that shorter because you know, the Chucks, man, Bruce Lee and the Chucks, that's the iconic, that that's what you always think about is Bruce Lee and the nunchucks. So yeah, that was another uh, complaint that I had, but that was it though. As far as my complaints. Well, no, I mean, cause I, I do understand that because Bruce Lee with nunchucks is an amazing thing to watch. It's right up there to me with Jackie Chan doing drunken master. Like, yeah, I do mm-hmm. love Jackie Chan, but if you want to see Jackie Chan just be the rawest fucking human to ever exist, watch him do Drunken Master. It's a beautiful fucking thing. And I oh God. like it's just one of those things that like, yes, because like I said, I've only seen this movie just a couple of times. And the second I saw that guard walking around with the nunchucks, I was like, all right, we're going to see some cool shit. And then you don't. <laughs> Because that's what it should have been. He should have taken the chucks from that guy. And that every fight should have just been him beating some ass with some nunchucks. I mean, like the staff stuff, it's good and all, but I would have rather had nunchucks just because Bruce Lee with nunchucks is better than in him with anything else. Yeah, I agree. Or what even might have been cool is like in that final fight, whenever Han got that big claw, if he had found some chucks or if there had been. Oh, yeah, there should have been some chucks on the ground that got knocked over from one of those things. Yeah. And the chucks versus the claw. That would have been some sick shit. That would have been sick. But eh, honestly, that could have changed a lot for this movie. If there was more nunchuckedness in this movie. I'd probably feel a little different because it is so iconic. Him yeah. with nunchucks is an otherworldly thing. And so it's just, if there'd just been more of that, I probably would have been happy because then it really would be more of an artistry type of thing because him with those is 
it's something you have to see. If you've never seen Bruce Lee with nunchucks, fucking look it up on YouTube right now. Pause this podcast and go fucking look it up because I can't even deny that. It's a beautiful fucking thing to watch. Yeah. No lies spoken on those sentences, sir. No lies. Um, with that, though, what I was going to bring up when you I thought you were still looking through stuff is just the numbers of this movie. Um, Enter the Dragon came out in 1973. It is a Hong Kong movie, uh, which was owned by Britain at the time. If anybody does, you know, if anybody's young, Hong Kong used to be owned by Britain. Anyway, uh, on IMDb, it's got a 7.7, which is a respectable score. Metacritic is at 83, which is still incredibly high for what Metacritic typically gives. Rotten Tomatoes, it's a 94. And the audience score is a 92. So that's why I said I do understand I am definitely in the minority when it comes to a lot of people with this movie because it's a very highly received movie. Uh, its budget at the time was roughly $850,000, which was a massive budget back then, especially for a Hong Kong movie. Um, but overall, this movie has grossed over $100 million in 1973 money which actually puts it at roughly 1.2 billion when adjusted God. to nowadays dollars. It is considered one of the best or the highest budget to profit ratio movies of all time, making it roughly over 400,000 or 400 times its budget. So yeah, which oddly enough, it made less than uh, way of the fist and one other movie he did. This isn't even his highest grossing movie, but it was compared to what with what its budget was. Like I said, it it's its budget. It made 400 times its budget, which needless to say, if you've ever listened to us talk about a budget of a movie, that is what is called a success in every conceivable <laughs> way. I mean, if I was if I'm remembering correctly from what I read, it made three point five million in Hong Kong alone, which that's astronomical numbers. If that's 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 a city. In one city, it made three point five million in 1973. Astronomical numbers. It was by Hollywood standards now a success just from Hong Kong. Not even taking into account the world. So it's safe to say why Bruce. And it, it's uh, there's lots of things about this movie too. It, it's lots of things about a lot of Bruce Lee movies. A lot of Bruce Lee movies because of when he died and everything like that. Uh, a lot of movies that came out with Bruce Lee, quote unquote, starring in them because he was attached to him or was supposed to star him and things like that. A lot of them steal scenes from other movies that he's already filmed. They'll just cut and paste around it and all this other stuff and call it a new movie. The whole Hong Kong, Hong Kong like movie industry is weirdly rife with a lot of that. And I think that's where a lot of those like Bruce Lee fake movies come from with that you were talking about, Justin that hmm. they would actually take Bruce Lee movies and cut them up with a different actor around what okay. like things Bruce Lee was already doing. Um, and, and that's oddly enough where the, the movie uh, Kung Pao enter the fist where they just splice that guy into the movie. That's actually where <laughs> yeah. that comes from oh, is doing okay. things like that with especially Bruce Lee movies because he was so profitable. So you would just cut another actor into a Bruce Lee movie to just try to see if you can make you know money off of it because you're not really filming all that too much extra, you know, and they weren't doing it like Kung Pao did where they did digitally add him to a lot of scenes and stuff like that. And they did have the whole cow fighting scene and they digitally added a bunch of stuff like the little guy on the tongue and whatnot. But yes, it's it's, it's that same principle that 
uh, Kung Pao Enter the Fist is a spoof on what they would do to old Bruce Lee movies just to try to make money off of what he did when he was alive. Oh, and actually you talking about that, that that's a very interesting point that I didn't know. So that's really cool, actually. And another thing I think to note about this movie is that I want to say um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say what it was like just before this movie was released. He died. Right. Like, wasn't it like four or five months before? I believe this so. was released. He died. Right. It's, so it's that's another that. thing. Yeah. So that's another thing to take into account about this. This at the time must have seemed so special because to everybody, it was like, oh, man, this is the the, the, this is the film he made before he died. So everybody was thinking about him, kind of feeling sentimental about him. And that had to have also driven some of those box office numbers, too, because it felt like something special because he had died. And so you're watching it and you're remembering Kim and you're thinking about who he was and his life and everything like that as you're watching this. And it kind of reminds me that would be something interesting to look up in history. Like how many move, how do movies do when an actor untimely kind of passes away and then a movie is released and kind of, and they're in like really close vicinity, not years or anything well, like that. Think but about like, Dark Knight. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about yeah. with Heath Ledger, you know, it's reminiscent and people of saying that. that that was I mean, and that sucks, too, because people were saying the reason that he won the award is because he passed away making the movie, which is I don't think true at all. I don't think that's um, why he won the award. I think that's why that movie made as much money as it did, which at the time, which probably like if you go by nowadays standards, it didn't make that much money compared to what Marvel's been fucking kicking sure. out left and right. But at the time, right. when that movie cracked mm-hmm. a billion, it was a holy fuck moment. I think it cracked a billion because yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably. And I would agree with that. I mean, it probably made more because of that. But I think that he should have won that award either way because that's the best acting I've seen in a movie almost ever. But anyways, all that to say, yeah, I mean, sometimes there's just something about like you you want to see the legacy that this person's leaving because you realize that they're not here anymore you know what i mean yeah and there's something about it it adds a sort of mystique to the movie when you're watching it cuz you're like oh man you know this person this was the the last real work he got to do because Game right. of Death, you know, there was another movie that came out after this, but there wasn't much of Bruce Lee in it. And they did have to kind of cut and edit. And there was some stand in actors and stuff like that. So really, this is the last just pure start to finish Bruce Lee movie that we got to see and it was kind of the first real one to kind of make it over here he was kind of in the midst of um starting kind of this conquest with hollywood here and some of his movies and all of that and it was like this was supposed to be the first one and just imagine if he had lived the countless movies he would have been in all of the appearances he probably would have made in other movies just all the movies that would have come out besides this one so it's just it's hard to even think about what his influence could have 
been. And, and then another part of that is, is, is his influence so great because of the uh, of the untimely death? It's, I guess, really, that's a part of it, too. You know, it's just it's a fascinating thing when that happens. Well, Same thing with Heath Ledger, you know. Well, I would also argue I would I would argue that that's why the crow's as big as it is that why the crow is considered like a cult classic because of what happened to Bruce Lee's son in filming that movie. Yeah. Good point. Because, and spoiler alert for when we do a crow episode, cause we are going to have to do one. I don't like it. You'll find out why when you listen to it, but <laughs> I'm not a fan of the movie, the crow. I do think a lot of the, the hype with that movie is the fact that Brandon Lee died during it. Um, but also, the, the, you bringing that up, Justin, with him dying before this movie came out, actually does make me think that is one reason why this movie is so disjointed. Because lots of times, you, you film a movie, you edit it, you realize, oh, you need some bridge scenes, you need some more stuff to it, and that's why you do reshoots. Typically, to fix things that when you're editing the movie, you realize you don't have or you need more of, or you need to fix something and all this other stuff. They didn't get that opportunity with this. True. So maybe that is why certain elements of this movie are so disjointed is they literally just had to put in what they mm. had. Yeah. In that spirit, I'll actually up the score a little bit. I'll go to 45 now. Oh my goodness. Nice. Just because of that, that actually could have led to more problems, but they, you know, they put out what they had. That's true. And also I got reminded when I was looking up, I forgot how amazing this movie poster is. That is an awesome <laughs> ass poster. poster. The, the movie awesome poster for this poster. is one of the all-time best movie posters ever. So, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree. I'm going to make sure you have that picture for when we put this up on Facebook, Heather. Because it is. It is okay. one of the most iconic movie posters ever. It's an amazing poster. So, do you guys have any more thoughts on Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon? And kudos to me, because I really thought I was going to fuck up and say The Last Dragon. Because I love me some Last Dragon. And I really thought I was going to say that because I sometimes fuck them up when I say them. No, I'm good. I am all set. So on that note, guys, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Simulslayers podcast. This was the first one of Justin's essential list. So we have 19 more to go on his list. And we've done a round of each. So everybody between Heather, me, and Justin, and Cinefans have all had that. We have also put on Facebook for a smaller version of 10 movies of movies you absolutely hate not movies you love not movies you love to hate but just movies you do hate so like that you hate watching and essentially you're going to make us watch those and we have some doozies that are already going to be up on there because they've been mentioned <laughs> a billion times like i can tell you right now without even looking at any more of these posts we're going to end up having to do an episode on jack and jill which i never thought that was anything oh we'd God. ever fucking do on this is an episode of Jack oh my and Jill, God. but we're going to have to. I'm afraid you should be. Have you seen Jack and Jill? No, I no have. So wrong. I'm like, what am no I? No one is walk wrong into? by putting it on there. No one. Oh God. <laughs> oh no. The only reason <laughs> the why sacrifices we're making for you guys. The only reason why it didn't end up on my list is because it's already been mentioned so many times. I'm like, we're going to end up watching it anyway. So yes, we will end up doing an episode on Jack and Jill. So that's an episode you guys also get to look forward to. While we dread the idea of having to watch it. So that'll be a fucking fun one. See, think about all the fucking fun things I said about this movie. Think about what I'm going to say about Jack and fucking Jill anyway. Uh, but check us out on the Internet at www.simulslayers.com. Check us out on Facebook where you can also submit these lists at Simulslayers Podcast. 
Uh, check us out on Twitter and Instagram at cinema underscore slayers. And we've just got more stuff coming to you. We're hoping that we will have some actual new movies to do at some point because new mutants is supposed to be out on August 28th. Who the fuck knows if that's going to happen. Mulan's coming to Disney plus in September. We will be doing an episode on that. I promise you. So keep an eye out on all that. And we're going to just kind of keep coming up with fucking shit to do movies on. Cause we've got, what 76 more to do on these essential lists and we will have 40 to do on the worst list so you're gonna get some bonus content because i'm sure as fuck not waiting a hundred and what 16 weeks of episodes to make sure we get all that list done because that's what over two years of us doing those once a week so we're definitely gonna you know do bonus episodes so just keep your eyes open for all that thank you for listening and remember according to Justin. Moon Knight is a Best Picture winner. I fucking nailed it this time. <laughs> Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kicks were fast as lightning. And even though it was a little bit frightening. But it was done with expert timing. I actually would have given you a win if you had sang that just because it would have fit within the movie. Oh, damn it. Now it's too late. You already took the loss and conceded it. I win.